Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm Gabe S. Dunn, your host. Today we have a special guest with me that might be relevant to a lot of the stuff I've spoken about on this show lately. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell my audience who you are and what you do? Hi, my name is Morgan Mouche. I am a divorce attorney and I practice at a law firm called Blank Rome in New York City. I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you so much, Gabe. So how did you get into this line of work? I will say my mom is also a divorce attorney and I grew up seeing how this kind of stuff affects her a lot. So I'm just curious how you got into this this area of the law. By accident which I actually did see. I was reading some, I was listening to some of your podcasts and I did see the the episode with your mom on it. So I said, oh, you know, you've been desensitized already, but many people aren't. I went to law school and had the opportunity to be a summer associate at my law firm, which means, you know, you work at the law firm for the summer while you're still in law school. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do that as a 1L, meaning in my first year of law school. And I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I thought I probably was a litigator at heart. And I tried a bunch of different things. And this firm happened to have a very successful and somewhat prestigious divorce practice, which was not at all what I went to law school to do. To be honest, I was a little squeamish about it. And I was like, hmm, Morgan, hi, I'm a divorce lawyer. I just couldn't quite I couldn't quite see it for a while. But after two summers at my law firm, and then when I started practicing full-time, I was splitting my time between the matrimonial, we call it matrimonial, the matrimonial practice and general litigation work. And I learned that, you know, this really was the right practice for me, mostly because I truly enjoyed working with individual clients, you know, real people, as opposed to kind of representatives of companies who you work with, you know, in corporate corporate law representations. And I loved helping people through what is often the worst time Mm -hmm. of their life and seeing them through to the other side successfully. A lot of divorce lawyers have a bad rap and I kind of enjoy bucking the, the stereotype of that. So I find it very satisfying, although clearly it's it's a stressful practice and, you know, you really need to be there for your clients. It, I kind of fell into it, but I've been practicing now for 13 years and, and I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's a very personal area of the law, like you said, like y- you are dealing with people at, at a sort of very heightened emotional state. So like, what have you learned about people's relationships with money through all of these conversations and your 13 years of work in the area? Gabe, I would say so many problems and relationships stem from money. And it's usually not the lack of money. It's really the lack of communication about money and the a lack of consensus about how people should spend money. Or truly even just the baseline, is my money your money or is my money my money? And that is really maybe one of the most important questions or conversations to have, understandings to have with your partner in any relationship where your expectation is, is that you're going to be sharing resources. And I think that division is is a huge reason why lots of people end up separating, divorcing, separating, breaking up, whatever their like legal situation may be. Yeah. I mean, you talking about when it comes to having money or not. I mean, I've seen people definitely split up. You know, you hear these horror stories of 
hiding debt or one person using the other person's credit card to do stuff, etc. But it's also just it, it it spans the gamut of, you know, people with money, people without money is what you're saying? Oh, very, very much so. And my practice, so my my practice really is focused on high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. So I have a very kind of niche type of client. So I see one end of the spectrum, but I also do quite a bit of pro bono representation. So I also represent, I'll call it, you know, for lack of a better term, quote unquote, normal, normal folks. The problems remain the same, although obviously it's much harder to resolve who's getting what when there are finite resources. But problems in marriages and in relationships exist in the whole gamut. Celebrities, ultra high net worth individuals, normal folks, folks who are really, you know, middle class, lower middle class, however people, you know, I think those are maybe unhelpful labels Mm. sometimes, but it's true for everybody. Communication is key and lots of people don't know how to do it no matter how much money they've got. Are they not communicating prior to the marriage? Are they not communicating while doing a prenup? Like, or what What are you mostly seeing about, like, in terms of the lack of communication? So many of our clients have prenups, but the majority of them do not. Mm. So many couples who may be divorcing now after 15 or 20 years of marriage Many of them don't have prenuptial agreements. Some of them do. People who have, for example, family money or um, anticipated inheritance that maybe their families or owned businesses at the time of their of their marriage. Those type of folks have prenups, and we can talk about prenups. But I think it's helpful. It's it's maybe it's maybe more helpful to talk about how to have those conversations before you get married, whether or not you intend to have a prenup. Because, in my opinion, not everyone has to have a prenup. Not everybody has to have a prenup. Sometimes I get calls from couples, young couples who don't have much of anything, who agree that they're, you know, maybe they want to have a family. Maybe they don't. Maybe they say we don't want to have kids, but they both are on the same page about how they plan to work as a financial partnership. And so if they're on the same page about that and they basically say what I earn should be in the pot and what they earn should be in the pot. That's probably what their state law provides. And maybe they don't need a prenuptial agreement if they don't have assets to protect, if they don't have debt that needs to be siloed on one side. So not everybody needs a prenup, but you should educate yourself. Everyone should educate yourself before you get married or before you enter into a transaction with your partner about what your rights are. And then you can move forward with the, with the knowledge about what you may or may not be giving up. Right. So a lot of people don't do that. It's the law does a bad job of advertising that marriage is a legal construct based on a financial partnership. And so many people, you know, it's it's lovely and romantic. And I am a romantic. I don't believe love is dead. I don't believe that people shouldn't get married if they want to. You know, I I don't I'm not I don't poo poo marriage, but I do poo poo. I'll use a better term. I do fully support every person educating themselves about what it means when you get married from a financial perspective, or if you're not getting married, what it means when you enter into these transactions with your partner. So many people don't do that. They just, they get married and they say, I love you and and that'll be enough. And then they'd have no idea what is kind of, what the expectation is on the other side, literally the day after you get married. So I practice in New York, yeah. in the state of New York. And in the state of New York, the day you get married, if you, unless you have a prenuptial agreement that says otherwise, every dollar that you and your spouse earn is marital property subject to division in a divorce. Mm-hmm. So people don't really understand that. They think, oh, well, I kept it all in my bank account in my name. That's irrelevant. You know, they never helped me make any money. That's also irrelevant. Doesn't mean that 50% of what you made will be divided, but it's presumptively marital property. Yeah. So I have some friends who didn't realize that. So can you say more about like that and how does that factor into like alimony or palimony? Sure. So what I was just describing is property division. So in New York, we call it equitable distribution. In other states, they have kind of 
property division. New York is an equitable distribution state, which means they look at the court, looks at all of the contributions that each person made to the marriage and made to the other person's ability to earn money during the marriage and says, okay, we'll look at all these factors, 14 different factors, and we're going to come up with a division of assets that we think is fair that is equitable. That could be 50-50. And the longer you're married in the state of New York, the more likely it is that certain assets, cash, retirement, liquid assets will be divided 50-50. Business assets are treated a little bit differently. But the court says you're a financial partnership. So we're going to investigate what your financial partnership looked like. Mm -hmm. And even if one person never earned a single dollar, but they managed the household they were a primary caretaker for children. Mm -hmm. They still contributed to the relationship, albeit not in a financial way. They will still get an equitable share of the assets. How do you break that down? Like, how do you break down, oh, this is, you know, this is what this person did in terms of like taking care of the home or the children? So this this is what your lawyer is, is paid to do, is to put together a a argument on your behalf that looks at the facts that you can testify mm-hmm. to at trial to say, for example, this person, this person maintained the home. They did the grocery shopping every week. They cooked every yeah. night, whether they're the ones doing it themselves or they were quote unquote managing, you know, other folks to do it. They made sure that all the bills were being paid. They made sure that the insurance was being maintained, et cetera, et cetera. So while they didn't go out and have a job, they did not work outside of the home. Right. The presentation would be, they did these things so that the other partner could go to work and earn a salary. And they came home to a home that was well-maintained and that was a benefit to them. And that's their contribution. So you work with your lawyer or if you're representing yourself, you have to, you know, which is much more difficult, but not certainly not impossible to put together the list of your contributions. That's basically what your lawyer would do and then help present that to a third party to help divide up your assets fairly. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025-1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. 
and I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself, which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances. You can collaborate on your budget. You can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. So what are some red flags in terms of before you get involved financially with someone, whether it's marrying them or owning property with them. Because I feel like a lot of this stuff is very easy to think about in in your mind, but in practice, it's so emotional and so heightened. And like, you know, one person might think that it's very obvious to get a prenup. And like, of course you get a prenup. And when in the, in the, they get engaged and then in the process, the other person absolutely flips out about a prenup and is like, this is so horrible and rude of you. And this is so like, you know, they turn it into this very antagonistic thing. And my mom says that a lot of relationships fall apart during the prenup stage. Some do. Yeah. Some do. And prenups, again, I think, you know, prenups get somewhat of a bad rap. Because a prenup can, a well-crafted prenup can protect both people in some respect. But a prenup, so how, so, so your question was, what are some red flags in, so I'll give you red flags without a prenup and red flags with a prenup. So red flags without a prenup, and I'll caveat this by saying, you have to try to get an understanding of how do you feel about the money you make? Yeah. Do you feel like it's your money that, that belongs to you, that you don't need to get permission or clearance? Permission's a loaded word. Do you need to 
advise the other person about what you're doing with the money that you earn. Do you feel they need to be doing that for you? Do you feel that your expenses, if you're living together, many, many people live together before they get married these days. And many people live together long-term without ever getting married. Mm-hmm. And you can, those are just practical conversations you have to have. How You're going to bill get a bill. How are you going to pay it? Right. So, you know, you may have an idea. Person A may say 50-50. That's it. That's what's fair. We share the apartment. It's 50-50. And the other person may say, well, but you make two times what I make. So 50-50 isn't fair. That Right there, you have an example of how folks view money and what they think is quote unquote fair, which can signal how, how are your finances going to play? How is the money going to play out over the course of this relationship? So those are conversations that you have to have, right? So you, you should have those conversations. It's not a prenup conversation. I won't marry you unless you sign this document, but it's an indicator. Mm -hmm. What do you think is fair? And in general, the second way, which we call pro rata, meaning proportionate to your respective incomes is the way that a lot of lawyers and courts deal with the division of, of expenses based on your income, right? Because paying 50% of a lesser income is not quote unquote necessarily fair, but some people believe it is fair. So that's one example to start finding the red flags. How do, how do people view that? And if you disagree, how do they react? Do they say, well, we disagree. So we're going to implement it my way. Yeah. That's the compromise, right? And the other, or they don't, you can't define compromise the same way. So that's one example of a, of a red flag, I would say. Someone who insists, no matter what, based on resources, splitting things 50-50, that could be a consideration. Another red flag would be an expectation by one partner that the other will pay for essentially everything yeah. without corresponding data, for example. So if one person is unemployed and the other is employed, then maybe it's not unreasonable to expect that the person who has the job is going to pay for those expenses. Right. But but that's not always the case. They say, well, you have some savings, so you should be paying X, Y, and Z. So I think red flags would set really the core of a red flag is when you have a disagreement about this, can you get to a place where you feel comfortable or are you twisting yourself into a pretzel to try to accommodate what they are insisting upon? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, mediators and counselors can be helpful to get over the hump in that respect for couples who, who really do, you know, want to stay together. The goal is for you to stay together if that's what, if what you both want. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, interesting because I think I think you're right that you do learn based on the person's reaction to the conversation. That is, I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to be like, well, the reaction to this conversation was bad and maybe I need to not be in, because the the step to break up is so intense. But I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you, because I feel like you're right. Like people are like, well, this isn't romantic. But like, how do, I mean, I think we've been taken in by the deal, by the idea that it's romantic and we're not thinking of it as like entering a contract with someone. That's exactly right. Gabe. Yeah. And, and so it's going to sound maybe somewhat dissatisfying, but I think it's kind of perfect for your, for this show mm-hmm. because, you know, to be honest and frank with folks without talking down to them to say who you marry is one of the most important decisions that you make in your life. And I'll, I'll expand that to say who you partner with, not just marrying, but marrying because it is a financial institution that will require money and assets and stress to get out of it. So yes, it's romantic to get married and commit yourself to being with someone long-term, supporting that person. But you really need to do your due diligence. There's no guarantees in life. You love the person, but that means that you need to be able to communicate about your differences in this respect. If you can't communicate effectively to get to a compromise, which doesn't necessarily mean you get what you want either. It's a compromise. But to get to the compromise, then you really need to assess whether getting married is the right, married to this person is the right choice. What, are you able to get married like without combining finances or- can we talk about also people who are like partnered and not married 
but they combine finances, they buy a house together. Like, which is more in my situation, which was bad. I was like, sometimes I'm like, it's better that we didn't get married, that we just bought the house. And other times I'm like, I wish we were married and we had never bought the house. If you don't get married, so from a protective standpoint, from a from a what's your best practice standpoint, if you're going to buy property together or if you're going to put your assets and you're not married, you're going to put your assets in joint names, putting money in a bank account, buying something together. The best practice is to get an agreement that shares your understanding about your obligations and rights to that to that property. That's your best case scenario. Again, not romantic. People say probably not that practical, but it is the most practical. It's the most pr- protective. And that's that's what people should remember, right? Like it's uncomfortable, but it's way more uncomfortable on the other side. It's a lot easier to do to say, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to buy this house with you. Let's make sure we understand how we're paying the bills. Let's make sure we understand if one of us passes away, what's going to happen. Because when we're not married, we don't have built-in protections from the state on all these things about your rights and your interests. So let's make sure that everybody feels comfortable, right? And I'll get my money, you'll get your money, you define it. That's the best case scenario. Now, when that doesn't happen, when you don't have an agreement, you're in civil law, right? You're dividing your assets now under civil law of your state based on honestly the facts and the evidence of what actually occurred, what money went from your bank account into this asset. That's how is it titled? You know, those are the things that you're looking at and you don't necessarily, you get more protection in some cases. Well, it depends on which side of the coin you're on, right? Or you've been, but you can get more protections if you're married, but I don't, I'm hesitate to say that in like a, a broad brush way. But for example, If without a prenuptial agreement, getting married and you buy a house and you both contribute money to it, you both would, depending on what state you're in, you could have a right to your, your, the money you put in to get it back and division of the equity in the house or depending on the law. And again, it depends on how you titled the the property. It could be, uh, it's essentially a gift, meaning all the money is mixed. So whether you put in less or you put in more, split it all 50-50. Right. It depends on on the facts. That's 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 without getting right. married. Now, if you had been married, also from a from a occupancy standpoint, it's very difficult to kick your spouse out of property that is the marital residence, in depending on the state you're in. So you could, you know, there's some protection there in terms of forcing someone to go through a lot of hoops to have you leave the house. And then there's also other protections like if you're on someone's health insurance, for example, and you're married, while a divorce is pending, you cannot remove that person from the health insurance, those types of things. that There are certain protections because the court wants to avoid unhelpful poor behavior after folks decide to to split up until a court has a chance to divvy up and, and kind of make orders that are finalizing a divorce. When you are splitting up and you're not married and you own a home together, what is the, if you're not married, what, what is the next step? Like, what do you, what do you do in terms of splitting up? Well, that's really, that's like I said, that's really civil. Those folks, like I send them to a civil litigator, a civil real estate litigator, because you're not in family law. You're not, you're not in the divorce law realm. Right. So the factors that a court would look at to divvy up those assets don't exist because you aren't, you're not married. Got it. So you're, I guess the best thing I can say though, is we should stop thinking about these financial transactions with our partners as simply romantic, practical gestures because they are legally binding maneuvers Mm -hmm. that people are making. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're on the bad side of it now, okay, you're going to have to figure out how to get out of it, right? You're going to try to figure out the practical ways to address it. But next time you have a cohabitation agreement 
Next time, if you buy the house in an LLC, you have an LLC agreement. You have a, a, an agreement that sets forth how you're going to divide it. But if you're not married and you have assets, you are not going to end up with a divorce lawyer necessarily. You're going to end up with a, a, a lawyer who's going to help divvy up your assets pursuant to civil yeah. law. Yeah. Do you think people, I mean, you said a lot of people don't have prenups. Are people like mm-hmm. more or less interested in them than when you started? Oh, way more. Really? Way, way more. Way more. And when I say a lot of people don't have prenups, I mean, generationally, a lot of the, a lot of folks, like I said, who have been married for 15 plus years, a lot of those people don't have prenups. But now, I mean, I, I've done last year, I probably did 15 to 20 prenups. I mean, I did a lot. There's a lot of prenups right now, especially post COVID. Oh, because I think people, you know, (laughs) they've decided to get married. They made it through COVID, you know, with their relationship intact. And now they want to get married. And I think they see people can see kind of the practicality of it. Plus, socially, it's a lot more acceptable, I think, to have a prenup. People talk about prenups. It's not some dirty little secret. And I think people know that a good prenup is not a prenup that necessarily says like, I keep everything and you get nothing. A really good prenup is designed to make both parties feel comfortable. So if one person has significant assets and they want a prenuptial agreement, the person who has less assets would would include terms in negotiation that provides them with a certain amount of resources or allows them to stay in the house for a certain amount of time or provides that they would get their own house or get, you know, a certain amount of money or, you know, to get their own protections, which they may not otherwise be entitled Mm -hmm. to so that both people can pick it up. And while they certainly won't necessarily look back at at that process as enjoyable, I don't think anybody would say that, but they would at least say, you know, I've gotten my, I have my protections and they have their protections and this is what this document is. So, you know, a good prenup will incorporate all, meaning a prenup designed to make both parties comfortable. Yeah. We'll have those types of terms. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry. I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's the situation? Have you ever seen, like, what's the worst case scenario, I guess, where someone has a lot of because like someone has a lot of money there's all this romance of like what's mine is yours but like in the end like someone who has a lot of money can go up against someone who doesn't have those same resources and it's just like in the end that's in a divorce yeah like what's the worst thing that could could happen just I'm not trying to spook people but I'm just saying like everyone goes like no like even my my friend was like you know runs a comic book company and the wife tried to come for the whole company or like there's all this stuff about it being like super romantic. But I think when people feel heartbroken, they just start going for the jugular. Oh, meaning 
in trying to resolve a divorce, the things that people, the, the claims that people make? Yeah. So in your example here about your friend who owns the, the comic book company, I, I will say if, if that, com- that company was created during the marriage, it's also yep. a marital asset. Right. That doesn't mean it gets divided necessarily 50 50. But look at it this way, Gabe. If you're the wife, right? If you're the wife and your friend left every day, went to work, instead of working for another company, they worked for themselves. So they built this business, but they also, you know, let's say they have children. Let's say the wife had, you know, took most primary care of the children. Again, she maybe she worked. The business itself is an asset, just the, but they created it. So in New York, we don't divide up a business asset 50-50 because we do yeah. recognize that the titled spouse, the person who actually created the business and worked in the business every day should keep yeah. a larger share of it. But it's still a marital asset because otherwise right. they keep 100% of this. They sacrificed also to build the right. business during the marriage. So they shouldn't get nothing. But the question is, is what should they get? What, what percentage should they get Mm -hmm. based on their contributions and, you know, and, and what it's worth? So, you know, I think when people, when you're in the middle of a divorce or you're contemplating divorce, everything feels unfair. Every position that the other person takes feels unfair. It feels like overreaching and they just want to destroy you. And, you know, how could they possibly ask for these things? And certainly sometimes people take those positions that are unreasonable. Definitely. Yeah. They want, you know, all they want the house. They want it all paid for. They want every dollar. They want to leave you with essentially nothing. That that's very rare that a court would ever award that. Yeah. And I think when you try, when you have a good lawyer who could say to you, listen, this is what the law says, right? Yeah. This is what the law says. Based on what you've told me, this is what people would get in a consultation. So if, if your listeners are considering a divorce or going through a divorce and they haven't spoken with a lawyer, go have a few consultations with some divorce lawyers in the city where you live. Mm Mm-hmm. Many, many lawyers will do consultations without a fee or at a reduced oh, fee. Cool. So you can they'll probably give you 30 minutes to an hour, spend that time trying to give a very brief synopsis of your circumstances, which is very difficult for folks to do, but try to explain what's going on and they will give you what I call, you know, divorce 101. These are the things that have to happen. These are the things that you have to think about. This is what the law generally says. This is what I think briefly, because in one hour, you really can't get into the meat and potatoes of what, of what someone's case is, but you can give them a sense of your gut reaction to what they're telling you and what they can expect. So everyone should do that. Should never be running around operating blind. And then when you get into the kind of nitty gritty, it's about, it's less about emotion than it is about practicality. And unfortunately, yeah. the emotion, obviously, of being heartbroken, being disappointed, being hurt, so often takes the forefront. But it's, a again, it was a business choice. You didn't realize it at the time. But it was a business yeah. choice. And now, most times, many times, it should be a business choice how you get out of it. And yeah. I think a good lawyer helps guide a client away from expensive emotion where you're paying a lot of money to emote to say this is how we can solve this problem so you could probably stop paying me and move forward with your life because I see the the thing I really want you and your listeners to hear is like on the other side of that is so much happiness and satisfaction if you don't destroy yourself in the process yeah. If you if you come at it with a logical standpoint instead of a emotional standpoint where you're fighting over a lamp for five years. Yes. It's a real thing. I don't minimize the importance of those things. And you shouldn't be a doormat, right? That doesn't mean that you just accept everything. 
but it, it right. means that you keep your eye on the prize and the prize is getting out of this experience as whole as possible. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, as whole a person as possible. Because the truth is that you can only control yourself, right? You can't control what your spouse is doing. You can't control the positions necessarily that they are taking. Unfortunately, there's a saying, or there's two sayings. Maybe your mom has said these things to you. You heard her say it. So the first saying is, well, we say you can't negotiate with a terrorist. And that's unfortunately a saying we bandy about in our office quite often. So if your spouse is taking really insane, aggressive positions, they will inevitably move you closer to their insane position because you want to be done. Sometimes that's a good not a good thing, but sometimes it's a practical thing. And sometimes you just can't abide it. And that means you need someone else, a third party to be involved and to get back to normal. And then the other thing is elephants don't marry giraffes. Have you ever heard your mom say that? No. So when I first started practicing, one of my mentors would say that all the time. She would always, you know, we'd have some, some, some case and we'd say, oh, the husband is crazy. The wife is crazy. The partner's crazy. And we'd be like, our client is super sane, super you know, normal. And then over time, we'd be like, oh, what's happening here? Because everyone's acting maybe not on the same wavelength, but similar. And she would say, oh, yeah. elephants don't marry giraffes. Which means not that you are equivalent to your bad acting spouse and their bad behavior. But people, you know, sometimes like Mary's like and... That means that sometimes one person's behavior is felt that much more keenly by the other person yeah. in the midst of the divorce. And that can also make it difficult to get, yeah. get to the other side. I think it's hard to, we've had listeners write in and be like, to you know, when one person escalates to a level, it's hard for the other person not to mirror that and match that. It's a really a big test of emotional maturity or, or, or like, I don't know, Buddhist practices to be like, no, I'm not going to rise to what they're doing and do the same thing. I simply cannot, but it's hard. You want to, why wouldn't you want to? It's very, very difficult. I I do not minimize how difficult that is. And the truth is, is that, and I say this to my clients, And I hope people hear it for what it is and not as something as minimizing. But a divorce, a divorce is like chess. Mm -hmm. Because there are moves, there are counter moves, there's strategy, there's ultimately a plan. And not Mm -hmm. that there's a winner, there's a resolution. Yeah. But you know, because you were married to this person, if you do this, they're going to do that, right? Yep. yep. And they know if they do that, you're probably going to do this. Mm-hmm. So don't think that even if you don't think of it, quote unquote, strategically, don't assume they're not thinking about it strategically and making yeah. choices, trying to get to the result that they want. So what that means me is that when you have your result in mind, whatever that looks like, Mm -hmm. you should be making choices that get you closer to that result, not just scratching your emotional itch. Yeah. And it's very difficult, sometimes painful. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm just because, because that doesn't necessarily get you where you need to go either. Yeah. Or they know you're going to be a doormat. But the truth is, is that people need to look at these, I'll say conscious uncouplings maybe it's conscious maybe it's not these uncouplings yeah in the big picture look at it in the big picture and and try not to take the bait all the time yeah it's hard my mom always said i have a shirt that belonged to her that says there are two sides to every divorce yours and the shitheads (laughs) yeah that's about right (laughs) yeah i wear that around because it's so fun it's like an 80s shirt that someone probably gave her (laughs) i love the divorce humor Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to, where you're talking about this, it moves nicely into the uh, the really interesting article that you wrote about celebrity divorce. And, you know, I was, I learned from that article, I didn't realize, although I should have from my mom's work, it makes sense now that if you put custody of children in a prenup, it doesn't really matter because they're judging based on what the situation is now, which I had like a flashback where I remembered cases of my mom's 
that that had that kind of situation where the parent that had custody just so happened to have something happen that then all of a sudden now the other person wants custody and it makes doesn't matter what they put in the prenup. Yeah. So, so I, this 2023, you know, so many celebrities were divorced and publicly. And again, I think that goes towards kind of loosening as a society, the stigma around prenups and loosening the stigma around divorce. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it makes it, it's good because it normalizes people's normal experiences. This is, this is what people are going through. And with respect to custody, if you have children and you're getting, and you're yeah. doing a prenuptial agreement, you could include provisions related to custody, but they will not necessarily be enforceable. And if you don't have children and you include custody provisions about hypothetical children, even if you have, uh, or if you're in the process of IVF, or you have embryos, or you have, you know, frozen eggs, mm-hmm. for example, that also will not be enforceable. That I can say it will not be enforceable because the children are hypothetical. Yeah, the Sofia Vergara situation. Right, and when when the court determines custody of a child, a living child they do that on the basis of the best interest of the child. And so they have to look at the factors and they have to look at the parents in real time to determine what is really best for these kids and, or this child and, and which parent is better suited to provide a stable environment, a good relationship with the other parent. That's another, that's really a very important factor. You know, so if you're a wonderful parent in every way, but all day you badmouth the the other parent to the child and you refuse to yeah. allow them to see them, you know, without a basis, then that, that could be a major problem to a custody, to a custody arrangement. And interestingly, pets are now often oh, wow. judged by the same best interest of the pet standard in New York wow. for companion animals. So we have a, a line of cases now where the court says, you know, pets are not property. Companion pets are not property, like a book or a table or a lamp. And we have to look at what's best for this pet, who's going to take care of the pet. Wow. And that's something that I've dealt with in my, in my, you know, queer divorces where there aren't children, but there are very much loved pets that, yeah. that you know, people want to be with their pets. With my dog, I had, I've had my dog for like five years. I had two breakups in that time. And I remember my one ex who I'm, I'm friends with now, but at the time came up to me after like two months at a party and was like, how's beans? And I was like, thank God I don't have kids. I fully understood like the meltdown in big little lies where I was just like, I was like, Oh, now you want to know how beans is. You abandoned him for two months. Now you want to come back into his life. And I just like was making fun of myself for it where I was like joking later. I was like, that's such a funny reaction. And I was like joking with my friends and I was like, we had to move school districts. Like, <laughs> I was just, like Our legal system is so antiquated. And this yeah. is something that I also deal with, you know, with clients who are, you know, not comfortable going to court, not comfortable explaining the truth of their lives to the court, not comfortable appearing in court in the way that makes them feel comfortable and dealing with division of assets and and arguing about things that they think maybe this court, this judge, this person, you know, in a robe is not going to appreciate or understand about me and my life. And so little, little baby steps with the court moving forward to understand how people really live in the real world. Yeah, I know. It's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, like polyamory, for example, or, you know, having three people with custody or like, I remember the the courts, at least from my mom's perspective, from when I was growing up, I know that I was surprised as a teenager, the courts side with the parents. So like my mom had cases where like the aunt had been raising the kids. Parents were like, both of the parents were like in and out of jail, let's say. And the kid had grown up with the aunt for like five years. And then like the parent gets out of jail and like 
I understand this. I get it. And like, obviously, the carceral system is massively flawed. And all a lot of this is very racist. But I think this was my mom's case was with white people. But anyway, class goes into it. But it was like the court, the aunt, my mom would be representing the aunt and the aunt would be fighting, fighting, fighting for custody of the child who has been with the aunt for like age two to age seven. The parent gets out and the parent wants custody of the kid. The courts will typically side with the parent. Well, I I think today I would say if I'm just, you know, speaking in generalities, I would yeah. say there are a few things that are true pretty much across the board is that courts very much want parents to have access to and rights related to their children. Yeah. Meaning so both from a a joint custody perspective, like a, a legal custody perspective between parents and also in the scenario that you were just describing. Now, hopefully things have gotten better where courts really are concerned mostly about the best interest of the child and not just preserving parental rights, you know, just because this person is the parent but never acted as a parent. But, you know, it's, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of gendered behavior related to yeah. custody. I mean, there's a lot of gendered, I'll just call, you know, I think there's still a lot of gender bias in the courts. They should be with the mother. They should be with the mother. Right. They should be with the mother or in a same sex relationship. Maybe it's the biological parent as opposed to an adoptive parent right. or now a presumptive parent, which in some states, this was a very good thing, at least, you know, when when same sex marriage was legalized, that mm-hmm. there is a in New York, for example, a presumption of parenthood. So if a child is born to either party to a marriage during the marriage the other parent is considered presumptively the parent of that child which made it a lot easier for folks to not have to go through formal adoptions to secure their rights to custody to their kids it's a very complicated it's not something a custody case cannot be simplified into into a soundbite because it's just the circumstances of every family is very different these are the things that i would say to, to listeners who anticipate something like that in their life or going through something like that in their life, even if it's a little bit of legal advice to understand what resources are available to you. Custody, unlike finances uh, for a divorce, a lot of states allow for free legal representation related to custody. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you need a lawyer to tell you, and again, especially in custody cases, really don't take the bait. I mean, people show up with all kinds of nasty emails and text messages and bad behavior. and You're not helping yourself. But it's very hard. But you basically want to operate like, you know, I'm making my I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting my kids. I'm gonna get educated about what my rights are and how yeah. to best protect them and get what I need. And and don't, you know, don't don't give up. It's hard because you're talking about in your piece about divorce. And it's interesting because it's like this high profile situation, what you're just talking about now, high profile situation versus even it's a microcosm even of like let's let's say you're you're worried about what your church is going to think or what your you know what your workplace is going to think stuff like that whereas like you know you're talking about Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas kind of going at each other in the press which is similar to like if you went to your church and just badmouthed everyone but or your synagogue or your mosque whatever but so then you talk about the 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 use of non-disclosure agreements i liked the part where i'm just going to quote where you were like Furthermore, in the age of Me Too, some wonder if private non-disclosure agreements go too far in stifling legitimate claims or experiences that a spouse would otherwise have the right to publicly share. And we did discuss like that this is all a very strategic, a lot of it is strategic. And I think especially with child custody, it's like strategic and it can be so frustrating. You talk about taking the bait. It can be so frustrating to know privately what's happening and not be able to discuss it publicly as a celebrity where your reputation is gold and also perhaps in your in your community in your like private community like can you talk about those sort of the what you meant by that in the piece and like the sort of butting heads of well I want everyone to know that this person did a bad thing and I'm not the bad guy but also that's going to be used in court so what I was referencing there and so in the article I I was talking about how for celebrities in particular, but it's not unique, like you were just saying, it's not unique to celebrities. When people are breaking up, 
often, you know, one person might put their perspective out on social media, you know, the, for celebrities, it's even worse because obviously whatever little thing the media comes up with is the what gets trumpeted, whether it's true or not. We really don't know from a, from a quote unquote normal person's perspective. In a divorce, in general, there's not a prohibition against what you can say in public. In the NDAs that I was referencing many times in a prenuptial agreement, mm -hmm. there are sometimes non-disclosure provisions that would cover your behavior during the marriage and in yeah. the event of a divorce, which would prevent, for example, talking about the other person's finances or talking about the other person's family, uh, a prohibition against making any derogatory comments about the part that person in media publishing comments, you know, and that could include, you know, everything from the New York Times to Instagram, right? Yeah. The, or Twitter, X. So, you know, the, the it could be very broad. Some folks say, I will not sign something like that. I'm not going to sign yeah. something like that because it stifles me entirely too much. But I have to tell yeah. you, Many, many people do. Many people sign those, those provisions. Now, if you're married and you don't have a non-disclosure agreement, obviously subject to, to, you know, general laws about not making false statements about someone in the public, right. there's not a prohibition against that. But if you have custody, unlike a regular divorce, where really what you need to consider is or what you're going to say gets someone fired and have them required to be on financial assistance because of yeah. what you said, you know, mm -hmm. that is one consideration because there can be a financial impact for that. Courts obviously don't like that, even if what you're saying is true. Yeah. If you have kids, my advice is usually you do not want to put something out publicly yeah. that your kids are going to see. And believe me, I know they will see it. Whether they don't see it now, they will definitely see it in the future. So. When you add kids to the mix, you need to be very, not just strategic, but considerate of what your kids are going to see about their parent yeah. when they Google them, which they inevitably will do when they are right. old enough. And, they, and, and that will all be privy to all of that. So, you know, I, I think, and, and that just in terms of that last sentence about whether or not in the age of Me Too, I think... People who have signed those types of dis non-disclosure agreements and come to regret it later, now, you know, there's something, there's, to me, there's a question about whether those type of agreements will always be enforceable under every circumstance. Right now, they are. I mean, if you, do, if you, if you have a well-drafted legal document contract in state that supports these types of agreements, it's, it's an enforceable agreement. That's what I was going to ask. Enforceable how? Like how, how, how is it enforceable if you sign an NDA regarding a relationship? The person who has violated that term would be forced to appear in court for what's called a temporary restraining order, which mm. would prohibit that person from making further statements. And then that order from the court can be served upon, for example, different websites to, to remove certain posts. And if you were writing a book, for example, or you wrote an article, those things would be, you know, for example, ret retracted. Now it's difficult because practical terms, the internet is the internet. You publish something on the internet, pretty much lives forever. But there are also usually financial damages tied to breaches of those provisions so that you would be responsible to pay the other person a certain amount of money, usually a lot of money to make it uh, prohibitive if you violate that provision. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think sometimes like with celebrity divorces, if if Joe Jonas is like, if it's like Joe Jonas made Sophie Turner sign an NDA, I would be like, oh, he did something bad. <laughs> well, right. Well, there's the court of public opinion, right? But they're almost always reciprocal. So it yeah. could be, you know, it's the same, you know, or did Sophie Turner make Joe Jonas sign an NDA? Yeah. If right. you, I mean, if you it's know. All the spin, I mean, it's the spin, do you know what I mean? It's all the, it's I all know. the spin. It is. Yeah. I, I, I also, yeah, I'm sort of like, oh, and if they drag the person to court over violating the NDA, it's sort of like one tells you that what they said was true. And two is like, that's also feels like you're a bad person. <laughs> Well, it, again, like it, 
the individual circumstances of these things, I've seen times yeah. where, you, you know, you're very grateful that you had this type of, of protection because not always what people say is true, right? And and right. you should be protected. Should, they should know that there will be a penalty if they say something about you publicly that they weren't supposed to say. That's not true. But if you can prove that it is true, is it enforceable? Not if you've agreed that you won't say it. Right. Yeah. Even it's not if about, it true. I just think that, Obviously, it depends on the circumstance, yeah. but I see in general what I counsel clients is, all right, so you could, you know, press enter on your post and say yeah. the quote unquote truth from your perspective. Yeah. And is that going to give you the satisfaction, the closure? Maybe it will. But I hope that you've gotten every other thing that you need out yeah. of it. Because it could be an expensive interlude on your way yeah. to try and getting divorced or, or separating from the person, just separating your life. So, you know, make sure you have some, a friend. It's not about scratching the itch, in my opinion. It's, it's sorry, so satisfying. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, satif- it's satisfying because it's, it's hard because I would see my mom struggle with these women, largely women, who would be so like the 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 husband did something terrible but it's better for them not to say anything because they don't want the kids to hate the dad they don't want you know they they don't want to get dragged to court or whatever so it is just like being safe in yourself and that sucks but like that's exactly being safe in yourself meaning putting your kids first recognize recognize this is a moment in time And it's not actually a war against your spouse. It is a path to get you away from them. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. And you're going to get away from them one way or another. But what shape will you be in when you get there? That's what the choice is on the way. Those are the choices that matter. Yeah. So everybody listening, that's what you're getting into when you get married. Congrats to you. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. Where can people find you and and your firm if they want to? You can find me on LinkedIn and you can also find me. My law firm is Blank Rome, B-L-A-N-K, Rome like the city. And you can find me on there and feel free to reach out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love talking about divorce, as you know. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual. Produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond M. Print Productions. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz. And music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye.